we are North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM, Windsor, Santa Rosa, news, arts, ideas, where you are. On air at 91.1 and 90.9, streaming worldwide at krcb.org. And we're also on Comcast channels 961 and 202. Two minutes after 10, and it's time for percussion discussion. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this edition of Percussion Discussion here on KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. This is a show that focuses on drummers, percussionists, and all the instruments of rhythm that move every genre of music along. I'm your host, Jim Laveroni, and I'll be here for the next two hours playing some great tunes and tonight some very interesting interview snippets. Tonight, the show begins with a question and a statement. Think some of your favorite records from the 60s and 70s were really recorded by the bands credited? Think again. Tonight, Percussion Discussion is presenting part one of a two-part series on The Wrecking Crew, the group of studio musicians in Los Angeles in the 60s who played on hits for the Beach Boys, Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, Sonny and Cher, Jan and Dean, The Monkees, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, Mamas and Papas, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, Ricky Nelson, Johnny Rivers, and were Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. There were also instrumental tracks that these musicians played on, and if it became a hit, producers would record an album and put a group together to go on the road. This happened many times with groups like the Marquettes, the Routers, and T-Bones. The next day, they would do the same thing and call it another name. Same musicians, but different group names. Amazingly enough. Tonight, a pre-recorded interview with Denny Tedesco will be played. Denny is the director of the film documentary, 
The Wrecking Crew, The Chronicles, the story of these session musicians and the music that they played. Denny's father, Tommy Tedesco, was the guitar player for the group. And, of course, interspersed among the interview clips will be the music of The Wrecking Crew. And you will not believe the variety, the span of music, and the depth of music that this talented group recorded. Among the Wrecking Crew members were Hal Blaine, perhaps the most prestigious and influential drummers of all time, Glenn Campbell, Leon Russell, Tommy Tedesco, Earl Palmer, Plaz Johnson, and many, many more. It's a story that not only needs to be told, but is fascinating in its content and structure. In two weeks, I'll be playing part two of this series, where I air snippets of an interview with the great drummer Hal Blaine, interspersed with more great music. The film's release is based on the licensing of the music that is included, and there is a lot of it, and the licenses cost money. That's why Denny Tedesco is showing previews of the film all over the world, and why I invite you to check out the website WreckingCrew.tv. I think you'll be absolutely amazed, as I was, at the depth of this story. We'll begin with Denny Tedesco describing the film and the backstories behind it. So sit back, relive the music of the 60s and 70s, how it really was, here on Percussion Discussion. The Wrecking Crew is based on the session players of the old, of the 60s and 70s. They were the guys that did everything from one recording day to another in L.A. They would go the Beach Boys, Sinatra, Janadine, Fifth Dimension, Mamas and Papas, and they were just so in demand that that uh, they were just around the clock working. They were kind of they were the Young Turks, and the reason supposedly they were called the Wrecking Crew was the older guys said they're going to wreck the business playing rock and roll. Well, I think what they were doing is taking jobs that the older guys didn't want to do. They were doing the demos. They were doing the you know stuff that was beneath them. You know, I'm not going to do that. It's a low budget job. Moving on. Well, the low-budget guys did it and became the big-budget guys. Yeah. So once you get in that the loop, like the Phil Spector's wall of sound, and then you went to the Beach Boys, and then all of a sudden they're the, the guys that are in demand. So they kept going. They didn't stop. And uh, went into the 70s just doing, you know, 12, 14-hour days. I started the film in 1996. Okay. And uh, my father was Tommy Tedesco. He was diagnosed with cancer. He was a guitar player. And uh, I knew I wanted to tell his story as much as everybody else's story and about the session players of the 60s and the 70s in L.A. And I knew I didn't have much time, so I put together a roundtable. I put Hal Blaine, the great, one of the greatest drummers of all time, uh, Carol Kay, bass player, and Plaz Johnson and my father at a roundtable. And I started filming him one day. I started... Oh, God, in 1996. And it was, we were shooting film at the time. So it took a long time. And my father passed away in 96. But in the meantime, between his passing and when I started it, I interviewed Don Randy, uh, Nancy Sinatra, Cher, Dick Clark, um, some others. And I kind of built a 14-minute piece around it after he passed. So this 14-minute piece never went anywhere. It could never get me any money. You know, were um, you a filmmaker at the time? Yeah, I was in. I was a filmmaker, not a director or producer. I was a. Mm-hmm. I was doing IMAX docs. 
I was doing, um, you know, commercials here and there as technician and mm -hmm. stuff. So you kind of have a history of... Yeah, I've been around for 15 years at that point in different various occupations in film. Mm -hmm. But this was my, you know, I knew the story. And there was one point when I went to London to pitch it, um, someone said, well, we could take this on, but, you know, uh, we'll have to get another director because you have no, you know, no, uh, what do you call it, uh, resume or whatever. Yeah. And I said, well... No, I'm not going to let this that. This is your story. This is my story. I mean, I said, you know, even if I wasn't part of it, I said I know where all the skeletons lie. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have to. I'm not going to sit here and educate a director about the film. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So I just said no, and not that it would have been made 14 years ago. That would have been none. But I just kept going, and kept going, and everybody kept saying, "This is great. We'd love to see more." And I kept saying, and I said, "Well." The only problem is I need to pay for this music. And they said, well, you'll never get this made because the amount of music you have in there is way too much. It was over 100 songs. Mm -hmm. They said, you'll never get the labels and the publishers to agree upon this music. You know, this is 1997, 98, and from then on. And, well, if you don't have the music, you don't have a doc. Mm -hmm. You know, and people said, well, bring it down to 20 songs. I said, you can't. I mean, you can't do it by 20 songs. You could play five Motown songs and instantly know it's the Motown story. Mm -hmm. But you can't put Sinatra next to the Beach Boys, next to the Mamas and Papas, next to Sam Cooke, and then the Chipmunks. What's the common thread? You know, you have to really show diversity. And I always say quantity, not always quality. You know, that's the other part of the business. It was a business. Whether or not you love the music or not, it was a business, and there was lots of it. It was more than just about the music. It was also knowing about what makes a musician tick. Mm -hmm. uh, what We all have the same... I'm not a musician. I live with the musicians. Uh, I saw my father, one of the greatest guitar players in the world. Um, he was very fortunate. He was a minority. He made a great living at guitar. But I saw so many of these great guitar players and musicians that didn't make a great living. You know, whether it's luck, some of his luck, some of his personality, being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. so, but I did saw, I did see over the years hardships, if not, you know, with certain players, my father, um, you know, when Hal, you know, had to leave the business and he became a security guard. Mm -hmm. I knew that was a big deal for Hal. It was a big deal for my dad. Because I remember when he went to go visit him, <clears throat> excuse me, he went to go visit Hal when he was in Scottsdale doing a seminar and he saw Hal. And he did, you know, in his security card uniform. It really upset my dad. You know, there's his best friend who had one of the greatest careers of all time in drums and he left the business for a while. You know, and uh I knew it affected my father personally, you know, even though it wasn't him, it was his friend. And I know how it affects all these guys. I saw my father at 60 playing better at 60 than he was at 25 or 30. He was a monster on that guitar. What bothered me as a son, or maybe it was, and it didn't bother him. I, I have to make sure everybody knows this. He was cool with whatever he was. He had a great career. He felt he was like a uh, athlete, baseball player. He had his day in the majors. You know, it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now, at 60, he was getting called for the jobs no one else could do, which was fine. 
meaning John Williams would write a piece for Tommy Tedesco for the film or James Horner for Field of Dreams would write a piece for him because they knew what they wanted and they knew it was written for him mm -hmm. so he was thrilled with that but there was all those other things he could have been doing maybe you know but it, again he never complained so did any of these guys complain like uh, I mean Glenn Campbell was kind of uh, uh, that was an interesting turn of events where he was a session musician then all of a sudden now he's He's out in front, and the guys that he was playing with are now playing for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, they loved it. So the rest of these guys, uh, Hal Blaine and, and your dad, they were they were, they were were happy being in the background? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but their know, names don't, don't appear anywhere on these albums. It's like... Well, you know, those days they did. Phil Spector albums they did, but those most of the time they didn't because, well, they could not put them on the Beach Boys because it was the same group that was playing, let's say, on Partridge Family or Monkeys. You know, can you imagine? Yeah, you know, you kind of relate the two. You keep saying you've got something for me. Something you call love, but confess. You've been a messin'. Where you shouldn't have been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Yeah You keep lying when you ought to be truthin' And you keep losing when you ought to not bet You keep saying when you ought to be a changin' Now what's right is right, but you ain't been right yet These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do one of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you You keep you playing where you shouldn't be playing And you keep thinking that you'll never get burned I just found me a brand new box of matches, yeah And what he knows you ain't had time to learn These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Are you ready, Boots? Start walking.
on L.A. Theatre Works. Ed Begley Jr. stars in a rollicking and indelicate courtroom comedy. And my job is... To frame an alternative... A lie? You don't want to lie? If you would let me do my job... Why did you go to law school if you don't want to lie? Romance by David Mamet. Next time on L.A. Theatre Works. L.A. Theatre Works here on KRCB-FM this Saturday at 6 o'clock p.m. You're listening to Percussion Discussion with Jim Lavroni. It's 26 minutes after 10 o'clock. And tonight, the show is part one of a two-part series on The Wrecking Crew, the session musicians of the 60s and 70s that played on, well, it's more than safe to say a variety of hits. And uh, as you'll find out as we continue with the interview, there is no real common thread for instance, in that first set, we just had uh, we just had um, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Sure, gonna miss her. 
Before that, The Fifth Dimension with One Less Bell to Answer, Jen and Dean with Surf City, and Nancy Sinatra with These Boots Are Made for Walking and that great bass line in that song. So we're going to continue with the interview with Denny Tedesco, the director of the uh, documentary film, The Wrecking Crew. And again, I invite you to go to the Internet and check out The Wrecking Crew, those of you who don't know the story. It is, it is in a word, amazing. It really is. The depth and scope of the music that these musicians played and the fact that even though they were handed music and they all read music, obviously, they were all professional musicians, if they had a day's worth of work, perhaps in the morning they'd be recording a session with Frank Sinatra, and in the afternoon they'd be recording a session with the Mamas and Papas. It was simply an amazing time in Los Angeles. So we're going to continue with the interview with uh, uh, Denny Tedesco. And in this particular section, Denny talks about the showing of the film all over the world. There's an interest all over the world. This is history that we're talking about and the work that the Wrecking Crew put into their craft. My dad passed in 97. Uh-huh. So... When I said I was shot, I wasn't, sh- I, you know, I've been with my dad for so many years over the, you know, when he would do seminars in England and all over the country. So I knew he had a good following of, you know, guitar players. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Elvis knew him, I don't know, or Peter Frampton knew him, I don't know. But I knew his humor was really important in the film. Mm-hmm. He was very um, uh, self, uh, uh, what's, what's the word? Deprecating. Yeah, deprecating. Yeah. You know, he was he was always uh you know, he knew where musicians he understood musicians better than anybody. So how'd you pick the countries to go to? England and Scotland? They invited me. Really? Like Israel there was a guy who said, What's it gonna take to get to Israel? I said, A good donation to the fund and a plane ticket. And next thing I know I'm in Israel. I was like, Oh my god. I was there on a Wednesday, and I came home on a Sunday. Went to Jerusalem for a quick, you know, yeah. tour. It was wonderful, but it was in Tel Aviv. Um, and when I went to England, London, my wife's, you know, English, so we went there. We hadn't been there in years, and BAFTA, British Academy of uh, Film, they had a theater, and they did a screening for it. And that was a highlight because Jeff Beck came. And so I have a nice picture of Jeff Beck and myself. So... So, uh, but you know, the other thing is, we're thinking about, we're talking about, you know, we always talk about the British invasion. Mm-hmm. They had nothing on the Americans, because the Americans have been invading all these countries with this music forever. Even in the big band era, when you think about it, big bands all the way into the fifties and sixties, and that's what the Beatles based their music on, was Americana. So these guys were going, you know, this music was always out there. I kiddingly say it's the best invasion since Normandy. You know, or at least respected <laughs> among the you know different that's countries. A, that's a huge point. I mean, and, and, but it's secret. Well, we don't, well, well, because there's no reason we don't think about it because we're American. America's spoiled. And it, but it was never a secret. It was never. No, it no, was no, never, no. We never wanted to say, oh, well, let's not tell people that 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 Dennis Wilson didn't play on the song. Let's not tell people that 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 this didn't happen there. That you yeah. Know, I mean, uh, people, I guess, assume what they want to assume, but uh, I guess they assumed, hey, this is the Beach Boys plan, this is the Monkees plan, yeah. they, they know how to play, they're, they're great, yeah. uh, and, you know. And when the Monkees, when Mickey Dolan said, you know, Mickey had a great comedy, he said, we were actors, 
he says, we're not all broke. He said, that's, he thought, what is this big deal about? You know, and, but he made a point. He said, we had a TV show pushing this train and this, this engine was being pushed by it. You know, so our, our, we're filling all those shelves, those record shelves, you know, with beat, uh, monkey stuff. And he said, so I think there was a lot of backlash among the industry folks as well. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it was like, what? This make-believe band's selling out. You know, or yeah. selling a lot yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. But if they had put the credits on the album, there probably wouldn't have been a big deal. So... Uh, and because there's no really big deal. Same thing when you think about the monkeys. You know, you still got Mickey Dolan singing. Or... Or... Um, Excuse me, I can't forget it. Davey. Yeah, you still have these folks singing. Now you got Neil Diamond writing songs. You got, you know, Boys in Heart and all these guys, wonderful musicians, all writing. You know, amazing players. There's nothing wrong with it. But same thing as Mamas and Papas. Same musicians as the Beach Boys. Same musicians as the Birds. You know, and the thing was, when I started the film, it wasn't going to be about my dad. It was about the group of him. And what happened was we had 30-minute cut, and um, a friend of ours, between the direct, excuse me, the editor and I, we showed it to a friend, a mutual friend, and he said, "Well, that's fine, but you know what? What you're cutting, I can do that." And we said, "What do you mean?" He says, "It's a history documentary, History Channel doc." They still don't know what he meant. He said, "Listen, what you've given me, any one of us here can cut." What you have is the opportunity to do something different, and you're not taking advantage of it because you have the inside scoop. You you have to be part of this film, and that was like something I never wanted to be a part of. And I said, all right, well, let's see. And I started thinking about it. All right, well, maybe I'll announce a voice over at the beginning, and then it became, all right, where's the narrator and this and that. And finally, we got to a good feeling about, okay, you know what? It is the story about my father and his friends, the Wrecking Crew. And that, once that happened, it helped us. You know what really was, when you say cohesive, what it wasn't cohesive for a second there was, then there was a problem. We got uh, sent it to Sundance. And Sundance turned around and said, or they actually didn't say anything. We just got turned down. It was in 2000, uh, 2008, you know, that same year. And we knew we would probably get turned down by Sundance. It's a very, you know, hard. Mm-hmm. But they recommended us to HBO, I got a call from HBO and got a call from uh, L.A. Film Festival from Sundance, through Sundance. They, so I called Sundance up. I said, thank you very much. I don't know just just the background, what went down. He said, well, you, out of 700 docs, he said, you guys were in the top 24. And we all had to watch those films. He says, but your film had a problem. And it was the same problem that we kept getting in every test screening. Like, it was a rough cut we were showed. And that's what they got was a rough cut. They said, is it a story about your father or a story about the Wrecking Crew? Mm-hmm. And we said, yeah, we've been getting that same note. And we fixed it by a film, uh, not a filmmaker. A friend of mine said, well, why don't you just start off with, this is the story of my father and his extended family, the Wrecking Crew. One sentence, never got the note again. Listen. You didn't get off a moving train. You know, you took every job because if you don't take a job, someone else is going to move in. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. It's the chance you take, but beware. It's still, you know, it could be your best friend, but, you know, you might send someone into, you know, it's, it's part of the business. It's a freelance business like any freelancer. I think one of the things 
I think one of the things that, it, for me, the film relates to everybody that's not a musician as well, is like when I ask them, what is, how did your personal lives affected how were they affected I knew how my personal life might have been affected with my father gone all the time but Plas Johnson said it he said and he paused when I said asked him he says I'm a better grandfather than I am a father well you know what you don't have to be a musician you don't have to be an artist you could be a, a waitress who's working two three jobs we're all that part we all try to make it survive Yeah. 
dulce la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero ¿De dónde crece la palma? Antes de morir me quiero Echarme zarzos del alma True to me, so remember when. 
has a thousand eyes One of these days you're gonna be sorry Cause your game I'm gonna play And you find out without really trying Each time that my geese are stray Cause a night has a thousand eyes And a thousand eyes will see me A thousand eyes. Hi, it's me, Hal Blaine, a drummer boy, and you're listening to Percussion Discussion with my good buddy Jim Laveroni on KRCB FM, Santa Rosa. Keep listening, have fun, play drums.
It's a great feeling to finally get another car after the old one's been breaking down over and over. It's also a great feeling to get more use out of your old car by donating it to KRCB. Car donors get a membership, a tax deduction, and the satisfaction of helping out KRCB here in the North Bay. If you've got a car you'd like to donate, just go to our website, krcb.org slash car. And there you have it. You can donate your car to KRCB-FM. You'd be helping us out, helping yourself out, and it's a wonderful thing to do. And I think you'd feel great about it. Well, we're talking all about the wrecking crew tonight on Percussion Discussion, and that last set has to give you some kind of an indication of the scope and depth of what these musicians did during the 60s and 70s. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. Um, For instance, in that set, we had the Beach Boys a couple of times, California Girls and Don't Worry Baby was the last uh, song in that set. And nope, uh, they didn't play the instruments on the record. They were in the studio, they sang, but it was the wrecking crew who provided the music and all the instrumentation. And... uh, I know what question you're going to ask, and we're going to, we're going to answer that uh, in the next section here. But also in that set, we had the Ventures with Hawaii Five-0, and the Ventures were actually the Wrecking Crew. Just a different name uh, recording in the studio. Um, you heard from my good friend Hal Blaine in that promo that he did for me, and uh, in a couple of weeks on Percussion Discussion, we'll have part two. And I might as well announce it now. We're going to have the interview with Hal Blaine, and the records that he played on, and I think you're going to find it absolutely entertaining, to say the least, when uh, you hear Hal Blaine talk about some of the backstories and uh, exactly what went on with some of these stars that came into the studio and exactly what went on with the Wrecking Crew. Also had uh, Bobby V. We had the Sandpipers, and that that song, Guantanamera, uh, shows the <laughs> just the variety of things that they had to play. We had Jack Nitschke, uh, The Association. Nope, they didn't play on their songs either. They sang in the studio, but it was all the wrecking crew that did all the music. So I think you can see now, after an hour of listening to Percussion Discussion, exactly what went on with these musicians. Glenn Campbell, Leon Russell, Hal Blaine, uh, Tommy Tedesco, uh, Plaz Johnson, and all these, uh, Carol Kay on bass, all these great, great musicians that really put their own stamp on things. So uh, we have another hour to go with this great music and uh, this great interview with Denny Tedesco, the director of the film The Wrecking Crew that uh, hopes to be released soon because uh, it costs a lot of money to do this. Uh, It costs a lot of money to license the songs, license the labels, and make everybody happy and then uh, give give the uh, film a release date. Um, but I think that once we do get that release or they get that release date for the movie, it's, uh, it's going to take off like wildfire. I think people are really going to be interested in it. So support for percussion discussion on KRCB FM comes from members and from the Healdsburg Guitar Festival, August 9th through 11th at the Hyatt Vineyard Creek in Santa Rosa. The festival features the exhibit and sale of custom built guitars, workshops on guitar playing, composing and performance, and ongoing concerts on two stages all three days. Tickets and information at festivalofguitars.com. So we're going to continue with the interview here with uh, 
Denny Tedesco. And in this next section, Denny talks about the early days of rock and roll. And here's your question. How did the bands manage to pull off a live performance since they did not record anything but their voices in the studio? Well, Denny answers that and much more. And in this particular next uh, section uh, of music, uh, let's see if I can find my paperwork. We're going to have, now this is quite a variety in this next set. We have Frank Sinatra coming up, who the Wrecking Crew recorded with. The Birds, interesting story about the Birds that I will tell you a little bit about. Elvis Presley. Yes, they played with Elvis Presley. The Carpenters, another interesting story about the Carpenters, because as you know, Karen Carpenter played the drums, but on this particular song, Hal Blaine played the drums. Why? We had Sam Cooke, and we're going to have the Crystals. So lots coming up here on Percussion Discussion with Jim Laveroni. Thank you for joining me. You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. They were, you know what, rock and roll, what's interesting is rock and roll was at its infancy. You know, we're talking, let's say, 1960. You now, rock and roll's not really been talked about for the last, what, five, six years, whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. So record companies didn't trust bands to do rock and roll. That's why they brought these session players in. You know, because these, don't forget, these session players, 1950, you know, they're 25, 30 years old, some of them. You know, and my father, or 1960, they're, you know, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. They're older than their, set, their actual groups. So they have a lot more experience. Right. So they didn't want, the record companies did not trust the groups to go in and record. It would have cost them a fortune because they weren't that good of musicians, many of these bands. Um, so, well, Phil Spector was a different situation because Phil, you know, was doing a singing act. So he had to bring in musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a producer, obviously. But, like, Beach Boys, you know, when Brian started writing all that music, he really had to have, you know, some great musicians to do it. You know, as Al Jardine said, we could have done it. It would have taken us a lot longer. But in respect to Brian, I don't think the guys would have done it for Brian. You know, because they had such tension between the family. I think that's why it was easier for Brian to hire session players to let them come in and, and have patience with Brian. Brian was a genius. They really did feel it. He might not have been a genius to his brothers or cousin. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel and it would have been harder with family than with you know, guys yeah. that weren't related to him. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I'll, my father would stay there as long as you want. As long as you keep paying me, I don't care. People they go, well, how did the bands you know, play in concert. Well, two things. One, bands only had to play 12 songs or whatever their set was. So they had weeks to rehearse. You know, these guys are going in blind and they had to do three or four songs in a day. Or in a, not a day, three or four songs in three hours. A perfect example was Tambourine Man, where Terry Melcher was the producer. He got the job with Columbia to do the, you know, the birds. Well, he didn't trust the rest of the band. He said, I'll put Roger on. Roger could sing and play the lead guitar. I'll, but I'll put Leon Russell on piano. I'll put Hal Blaine on drums, Larry Necto on bass, and uh, Bill Pittman and Jerry Colbert on the other guitars. Mm-hmm. And he said, and as Roger said, he said, I did Tambourine Man and the B-Side in three hours. Now, he said, when we did the Birds 
turn, 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 another number one head. It took 77 takes. Now, it's not like these guys are, you know, bad musicians. They're great musicians. They just, it's not their thing to be in the studio at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to be in and out. If you got a hit with a single, you got to do another one or you got to do an album. You know, so it was about a business. And that's why these guys were in demand. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June I said that's life And as funny as it may seem Some people get their kicks Stomping on a dream But I don't let it, let it get me down Cause this fine old world, it keeps spinning around I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself flat on my face I pick myself up and get in the race that's life that's life i tell you i can't deny it i thought of quitting baby but my heart just ain't gonna buy it and if i didn't think it was worth one single try i'd jump right on a big bird and then i'd fly I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out, and I know one thing. Each time I find myself laying flat on my face, I just pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. That's life. And I can't deny it Many times I thought of cutting out But my heart won't buy it But if there's nothing shaking Come this here July I'm gonna roll myself up In a big ball And die
Satisfaction in me A little more bite A little less spark A little less fight A little more spark and Close your mouth And open up your heart And baby satisfy me Satisfy me baby Baby close your eyes And listen to the music And dig to the summer breeze It's a groove night And I can show you How to use it To come along with me And put your mind at ease Hey A little less conversation A little more action breeze. All this aggravation And satisfaction in me a little more fight, a little less spark A little less fight, a little more spark Shut your mouth and open up your heart And it'll satisfy me Satisfy me, baby Come on, baby, I'm tired of talking Grab your coat and let's start walking Come on, come on Come on, come on Come on, come on Don't procrastinate, don't articulate Girl, it's getting late, you just sit Aggravation ain't satisfaction in me A little more bite, a little less spark A little less bite, a little more spark Close your mouth and open up your heart Baby, satisfy me Satisfy me, satisfy me baby Satisfy me, baby We've only just begun to live White lace and 
promises A kiss for luck and we're on our way We've only begun Before the rising sun We fly So many roads to choose We start Twist in the night. Let's twist the one. Yeah. 
KRCB Leadership Circle donors support North Bay Public Media all year long. KRCB Radio would like to thank our major contributors who make up the Leadership Circle, including Paul and Marcia Ginsburg, Colonel Mary A. Hall, retired, Judith Hunt. Their continued support ensures a sound future for KRCB, and you can join them. To find out more about membership in KRCB's Leadership Circle and its benefits, call me, Nancy Dobbs, at 584-2058. And thanks. The Leadership Circle, uh, KRCB-FM. Call Nancy and get all the info regarding how you can donate to our radio station, NPR. You're listening to KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa, News, Arts, Ideas, where you are. The program is Percussion Discussion, and tonight we're talking all about the Wrecking Crew. 
the session musicians of the 60s and 70s, who made the hits. They were the ones who recorded the music. Yes, the singers came into the studio, but they did not play. And in that particular set, you heard the crystal, which was part of Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. You can hear the violins and the big, big dramatic music in the background. Sam Cooke, great tune there. The Carpenters. And even though Karen Carpenter played the drums, uh, A&M Records uh, was the one that they had their contract with, and it was decided that Hal Blaine would play on that particular tune, and it became a huge hit. So there's something to that. Elvis Presley, a little less conversation. The Birds, and you heard Denny talking about the Birds recording and uh, the fact that Roger McGuinn was the only one of the original Birds who was in the studio when... Uh, that tune, Mr. Tambourine Man, was actually recorded. The rest of the birds sat out and were not part of that. And uh, then Frank Sinatra, and that's live. So we're going to continue with the next section of the interview. And in this particular section, Denny talks about his father and some of uh, his dad's influence on other musicians, some of the stories that he has heard over the years from other musicians and people that knew him. And then he relates a backstory regarding the huge hit of the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Lovin' Feelin'. Actually, pretty good story. He learned as a kid, but he, I don't think he ever thought he'd be a guitar player as a profession. Um, he accidentally fell into... Um, he fell into coming out to Los Angeles because he got a, he was at a dance in Niagara Falls, New York, and the big band there basically um, said, found some. One of his friends said, "Hey, the guitar player is leaving in that band tonight," and they said, "We have a friend that plays guitar," and so he got my dad a musician. His friend did. I, I mean, he got my dad a audition. So that night he auditioned for this big band called Ralph Martieri. Next day he was on the road. Now. This is coming out of Niagara Falls, New York. Very small town, you know. Very, um, you know. Can, I can't imagine them leaving Niagara Falls, but he left, came back around, and he ended up going to uh, Dallas, where he got fired with the lead, lead singer, because they found someone to a singer and a guitar player that could do both. Mm -hmm. So they cut back on, you know, one person. So my father, I think, in shame, didn't want to go back to Niagara Falls, small town. So he got my mom and my brother, older brother, and they went to L.A. because he had been there, thinking he would just become a session musician, not knowing what it would meant or what it would be. And um, that's where he went. It's always like a new story about my father, which is always a nice little treat. You think he always hears something and someone says something new. And it's usually not about his playing. You know, it's about him as a person, and that that's a good feeling. It's always a thrill. Um, Chuck Rainey, one of the great baseball players of the 70s, who uh, did all the, you know, Steely Dan stuff. I mean, he was huge. He was talking about the first time he met my f father was at a uh, television date, recording date. And, you know, TV and film is a whole different animal than records. Mm -hmm. You know, to be in records is one thing, but then you got to do the other stuff. Now you there's a lot more not rules but you got a lot more restrictions in terms of you're playing with an orchestra you're playing with a click track you're playing in time boom 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 there's no messing up because everything's cued and you know um, so he said I had this 
you know, my first gig in L.A. with this, you know, as an orchestra. And they do the rehearsal, and he says, I'm playing bass, and all of a sudden he says, I lose where I am. I mess up on my, where I'm supposed to do something. And he went, mm. you know, he felt it, you know, he felt that feeling of, like, anxiety. And my father must have picked up on it, because now they had to do the actual take. And this is in the early 70s when you had film projectors, you know, playing the, um, the scene. And he started, and as soon as that part came up again, um, Chuck lost, his, lost it again. And my father just opened his guitar up and hit the strings really badly, you know, to cover the mistake. And they all looked at my father and said, you're right, Tom. Yeah, yeah, let's do it again. Roll the projector back. Start up, doom, 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 going again. Chuck loses it again. He said, your father hit it one more time and you just, you know, made a big mistake. So everybody looked at him again. Tommy, you all right? Yep. Uh, let me just do it again. I've got it. No problem. And he turned to Chuck. He says, all right, now you're on your own. He covered him as long as he could. But in what I asked Chuck, I said, what did you do after that? He says, I just didn't play. And he says, then your father yelled at me later. He says, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't play if you can't do it. Because he said, you're, you know, he gave him a lesson. He says, don't kill yourself. If you can't play hide back off back off just hide you know amazing and and those are the stories i think are worth more to me as a as a filmmaker as a son to know that he helped so many people you know it's always i'm going around the country and people would say you know i met your dad in a you know a seminar he was doing a seminar in boston blah 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 and we went out for pizza afterwards and the wrecking crew is a kind of a weird thing because it's not like oh it's six people it's a combination. I mean, you could you could say there is no such thing as wrecking crew. You know, it's not really about who was in it. It's about maybe, I would say, 15 to 20 people that were really core in making rock and roll in the early 60s, mid-60s in Los Angeles. You know, and someone said, well, how'd you come up with certain, you know, I looked at the contracts. So, you know what, Hal, Earl Palmer, I mean, Hal made up the name. But Earl Palmer, Jim Gordon, great drummers, um, you know, the guitar players were Glenn Campbell, my father, Billy Strange, sometimes James Burton, uh, Bill Pittman, um, a few others. And they just, you know, it was a combination of people going in and out all day. Um, sometimes they were in the same session all day long with different sessions. My father would go from an 8 o'clock session to 11 o'clock go to a 12 o'clock session or maybe a 1 o'clock session somewhere else and as he got there he'd find out half the band from the other session was there you know or they knew but they weren't like one person wasn't right, you know right, right. leading it right but still what are, I mean <laughs> well you know what I realized and I said this my father never played one piece of music more than once meaning like he went every time he sat down it was a new piece of music mm-hmm. it was new written for a, a song a composer or somebody he never had the same song that he was like in a band mm-hmm. you know he's not playing the same set like a band would play every night right, or right, every right, right. so do you imagine how much music these people yeah. uh, my father read over the years the amount of notes he had to go through Bill Medley said when he um, you know when they did it he was well. First of all, he was upset about the song because there was no, there was really no part for Bobby. You know, it was called the Righteous Brothers. 
he kept saying, he said to Phil, he's called the Righteous Brothers, but, you know, Phil. And I think Bobby said something, and uh, I think Phil's response was, you know, take the check to the bank. You know, just just do it. You know? Cash. And when they did the song, um, it was written, oh, God, help me out. Who wrote the song? Uh, I forget who wrote it's it. It's yeah. oh, amazing writers. Excuse my blank. But they basically slowed it right down. He said the other thing about that song is the lyrics start right on yeah. the first thing out. It's right on the you know first note. And he says, so we played it to um, the writer, and uh, Phil called and played it to the writer. And the writer thought, wait a minute, you guys got it on the wrong speed. Because it's really slow and really low. You know, you guys did. You know, and that was uh, the first thing that was, you know, crazy about that. And the other thing about Phil Spector was the B-sides. You know, Phil Spector was known for his B-sides on the eight, you know, the 45s, to give nothing on the B-side. Really, like, make the worst song possible. Or something that there's no way a DJ would play the B-side. Because he had been messed around with, or someone played a b-side once and when he was trying to push the a-side he was upset about it so every time he would do the b-side he would just say guys just play the blues or just play some jazz whatever play some country like whatever just so long it was not going to be possible to be you know so the b-side of be my baby is tedesco and Pittman, which is my father and bill Pittman. it's just he would just name him and um and uh the uh, b-side righteous brothers is uh was something a woman with a good, woman that plays piano or something, <laughs> yeah. and it's and as Don Randy went in with his trio with uh, Bill and uh, and Bobby, and they just wrote it within like a session, three hours, and they always said it was really bad. Baby, baby, 
I'd get down on my knees for you If you would only love me Like you used to do, yeah We had a love, a love, a love you don't find every day Sometimes, and although my dream 
Darker shame, 
song Traveling along There's a song that we're singing Come on, get happy A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing We'll make you happy I'm Bill Moyers. This week on Moyers & Company, we mark the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington with Representative John Lewis, who spoke that day half a century ago. We have to pace ourselves because our struggle is not a struggle that lasts for one day, or one week, or one month, or one year, or one lifetime. It's an ongoing struggle. I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll join Bill Moyers & Company here on KRCB-FM. And that's Sunday night at 9 o'clock. You're listening to the waning moments of percussion discussion here on KRCB with Jim Laveroni. And tonight we're talking about the Wrecking Crew. And uh, they are the session musicians who made the music famous in the 1960s and 70s, even though you thought you were listening to the Beach Boys play their own instruments, the Monkees play their own instruments, um, the, uh, the Partridge family play their own instruments, but the truth is that none of them played their instruments. The wrecking crew played the instruments. And in that last set, you heard the Partridge family. Come on, get happy. Come on, let's get happy and sing, but let's not play any instruments. We also heard Wayne Newton, uh, Herb Alpert actually did play the trumpet on that song, Whip Cream, but the Tijuana Brass was the wrecking crew. Uh, they did have a Tijuana Brass when they went out on tour, but uh, that particular uh, recording and many other recordings, including The Lonely Bull, which we're going to hear in a little bit, uh, was the Wrecking Crew playing all that instrumentation. We also heard Dean Martin, Everybody Loves Somebody, and The Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. So we're going to continue and play the last section of the interview with Denny Tedesco where he talks about the work ethic of the Wrecking Crew and then adds a few final thoughts about the film and his father, Tommy Tedesco. And uh, again, uh, this is a great opportunity to tell you to go to the website WreckingCrew.tv for more information on the film documentary, the musical documentary. Uh, saw it at the NAMM show January of this year, and by far it was the best part of being at the NAMM show the screening of that movie. So we'll continue with the uh, interview and the music, and I'll be back to say a few last words. People ask, um, why is it different? You know, there's a couple things. Is uh, Glenn Campbell said it was like playing with Michael Jordan, but everybody in that room was Michael Jordan. He said we could go in and out of a session. We had three hours. We had to knock those songs out, go to the next session, knock those songs out, go to the next session. We have three or four sessions a day sometimes and be in and out with a different rhythm section, same guys, whatever it was. He says everybody nailed it like this. You didn't have overdubbing. You really didn't. They tried not, they tried not to overdub because you lose, um, you know, you'd be whatever you call it, you know, tape to tape, bouncing around, you lose quality. And you lose time. Time. And time right. is money. And- time is money. So if there's anybody there that's messing up, you're messing up not just for everybody, or for yourself, you're messing up for everybody. So you couldn't cost any, if you start costing people money, you're not coming back. If you're not there on time, you're not coming back. If you're high or drunk, you're not coming back. 
You know, so all these things were, you know, for these guys, they really were critical um, that they were together. So that's why you give Carol Kay a lot of credit. They don't, they treated her like a bass player, not a, a girlfriend, a woman, or whatever. She was not in a position of like, she was in a guitar or bass, you know, position. So they all knew what they were doing. As the 60s got later, there's more tracks. It's a little looser. You don't have to be as critical. Also, later 60s, these groups start playing more. They're better at playing. A lot of the groups could play. You know, the Zeppelins come in and all these other groups start playing. And also some of the other music, like James Taylor. Those are different groups. The singer-songwriter groups. Yeah. They're not as, you know, uh, orchestrated or arranged like uh, a Spectre Date or, you know. And then... Um, by the you know 70s, they became record projects, not recording dates. Earl Palmer said that he says they were project recording projects at that point, where it wasn't an album a day. He said we now we you know it could be a week, two weeks, three weeks for an album. Mm-hmm. You know when you hear people taking months to do a recording or album, you want to go why? Why some of the greatest albums were done in a day? You know. It, you know, it just takes time now, I guess. And but, but, you know, the other thing is people say, oh, they don't make music like they used to. Well, yes and no. The thing is, what happens now is we're, we're, what we're missing is mistakes. Many mistakes happen because they're all in the same room together. What I'm saying is mistakes, it's not what was written on paper. So maybe the drummer's doing something different and the bass player's influencing each other when they're all together and the guitar player does something and everybody starts doing something you know as a group well now if you lay down the drum track and then you lay down the bass track you're tied to those tracks you can't influence anybody if they're not there so you're it's a well produced you know well oiled machine and it's boom 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 whether it's computer whatever it is so that prevents a lot of influenced by the musicians possibly not always, but, you know, that happens a lot. The other thing is people say, well, they don't make, you know, the writing. Or, you know what? There is a Brian Wilson. There is a Jimmy Webb out there. They're just hard to find, I bet. Because when you, when we're in the 60s, you know, I'm 52, so let's say I'm listening to stuff my parents listen to. Well, you can't go back 50 years. We're talking about 1925. There's nothing to listen to, you know. 30s, 40s, maybe the big bands and the f- rock and roll of the 50s. But it's limited and it's also limited where I can get to it. It's going to be KHJ, boss, whatever Boss Radio, or those times, those radio stations that you grew up on. Three or four of them. That was it. There wasn't no FM for a while. Then FM came in and it became something else. But very limited. So as Jimmy Webb said, he says, music today is segregated. In those days, you had you could have a Ray Charles next to a um, uh, Elvis song or a, uh, maybe a Charlie Daniels song next to Motown, next to Take Five by Dave Brubeck. It was all on the same station a lot of times. So what you might be influenced, you might like the rock and roll, but you know what? You also know about this. Now everything's segregated. You're not listening... Now you've got thousands, there's an infinite number of ways of getting to the music. Every internet, every podcast, every... So now you have choices that you'll never have those hits like they were. The project 
you know, for me, it's a, obviously my personal labor of love. And um, I would have, if anybody in the right mind had started it, they would have quit a long time ago. So, but I know I want to get this thing out there before our history goes. You know, I'm so fortunate I started it 16 years ago when these guys were, I hate to say alert, together, alive. You know, now they're in their 80s, many of them. And it's not, you know, I want this out there. Um, I just want people to know about history. It's like, why does a young kid need to know about, if you're a painting student why, or artist, why does he need to know about Monet or Picasso? Because that's your history. Mark Schulman, uh, one of the great young drummers of today, he played with uh, Pink and a few other groups. He said, you could hate everything that Hal Blaine and Earl Palmer ever did, but or even never heard of anything Earl Palmer or, or Hal ever did. But you can't say you weren't influenced by them because what they did ahead of us influenced someone that we were influenced by. Mm-hmm. So it kind of went down the you know pipeline. And the things that Hal did on records, everybody else followed. By the time I get to Phoenix She'll be rising She'll find the note I left hanging On her door She'll laugh when she reads the part That says I'm leaving I've left that girl so many times before By the time I make Albuquerque She'll be working She'll probably stop at lunch And give me a call But she'll just hear that phone Keep on ringing Off the wall That's all By the time I make Oklahoma She'll be sleeping She'll turn softly and call my name out low And she'll cry just to think I'd really leave her Though time and time I've tried to tell her so She just didn't know I would really go Glenn Campbell 
and by the time I get to Phoenix. And that about wraps up our show, part one of The Wrecking Crew. I just had a uh, telephone call from one of our listeners who said, uh, I'm sorry I didn't get your name as I was watching the countdown of the music, but I appreciate the phone call here to the studio and telling me that uh, you enjoyed the show and the music, and uh, and I did too. Uh, this was one of my favorite shows to put together. And I'll remind the listeners, uh, all of you out there, that in a couple of weeks I'll be interviewing the great Hal Blaine, pre-recorded interview that I did uh, on the telephone here in the studio. Just a great, great man. I believe he's 85 years old. Um, the uh, prestigious drummer who played on more number uh, one hits and more top ten hits than any other musician in history. And that includes the Beatles Paul McCartney and anybody else that you can name. So uh, be listening for that in a couple of weeks. And I will leave you with uh, the final thought and my final song, uh, which is always end of the line because it is the end of the line. Remember, if you've got something important you want to say, you're never going to find a superior way. You've got to say it with percussion. End of discussion. This is Jim Laveroni signing off. Thank you so much for listening. And stay on the sunny side of the street, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Make sure you uh, stay tuned for that Hal Blaine recording in a couple of weeks. And at 12 midnight, tonight is Democracy Now! So thank you for tuning in to KRCB-FM. We'll leave you with the traveling Wilburys, and have a safe, safe, nice evening. Thank you.
Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa. News, arts, ideas, where you are. On air at 91.1 and 90.9. Streaming worldwide at krcb.org. We're also on Comcast channels 961 and 202. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! at 12 midnight. 